Hey, here I am once again, Richard Buse, welcoming you to our next edition of Book by Book. In the book of Revelation, that's where our studies are at the moment. We're doing this from Plymouth in England, and I'm joined here by Paul Blackham, my colleague, and also by our special guest, Stephen Nichols. And as we come now to this eighth in our series of studies, we're looking at uh, chapter 17 of the book of Revelation. And of course, we're now becoming futuristic as we look in this next chapter and a half at the dismantling of the apparatus of evil that has plagued us all these centuries. We're calling this particular study, Jesus, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So let me read chapter 17, verse 3 to 5. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. This is John writing. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Well, in chapter 17 it sounds, actually it sounds as though we're in Isaiah again. Mm. Who is this woman called Babylon? I know it is Isaiah because Isaiah has that and what's strange in the book of Isaiah is Babylon wasn't the big world power at the time, that would be Assyria. But Isaiah speaks of Babylon and he, he, he has it in chapters um, 13 and 14 and then chapters 46, 47, 48. And he speaks about the Babylon as if it's all the nations of the world and all the cities of the world wrapped up into one city. Maybe it goes back to the Tower of Babel when all of humanity gathered together to form this thing to make a name for themselves and all that sense of Babel, Babylon. Don't you, don't you think also that John the Apostle thought of Babylon as rather in his time representing Rome and all, all of that? that, that that's all that. there as well. Mm. So that for him, he's like, where is all the nations gathered? All, the, all that sense of, for him, it's embodied in Rome. And then, but it's more than that, isn't it? Because down the generations, it's been Rome, it's been, I don't know, there's different nations in the world today where that, that city of man shows its power. And I love that bit where it says it's drunk on the blood of the saints. So the city of man in all these different manifestations, sometimes with great aggression and violence, yeah. sometimes less so, but always never on the side of the church and sometimes very hostile against it. And there's that big sense of like, there's Babylon embodying human beings, human religion, human political power set against Christ. And there's that word we've already had, Babylon must fall. And yes, worldly power as well, kind yeah. of ally of it all in such a seductive way, it's amazing. Well, then moving on a little bit, I mean, though Babylon covers all history's empires, mm. as you say, is it possible that John in his day, did, how did he envisage Rome as being the problem? In what kind of way? Well, if we, if we look down to verse 9, uh, he, he describes the seven heads of the beast. He says, the seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Um, for the readers, for the first readers of, 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 of this, this book, they would have thought surely of Rome sitting on the seven yeah. hills. But as we've said, it, it's got to be bigger than that. We, yeah. we don't want to uh, restrict the meaning too precisely to uh, 
Babylon covers all the nations, all the, uh, all the world governments that set themselves up against the Lord and persecute his people. And so as we read on, he says there are also seven kings. Yes. Well, scholars have tried to identify these kings and they've lined them up differently. Again, is that useful? Well, maybe, but it doesn't, doesn't take us yeah. all, all the way, does it? Because you'd it's want to be kings. able to read this, I suppose, in the dwelling of a Maasai, you know, <laughs> a camp somewhere in Kenya. And uh, so that the, the names of seven kings wouldn't mean too much to such things. No. no, but we get the general picture, don't we? We, we yeah. might not understand all the precise details, but the main message is clear enough. Mm. All the kings that line themselves up, all the powers that set themselves up against the Lord and against his church. Yes, mm. yes. And then um, as we think about Babylon at the end of, end of 17, mm. what does Babylon's fall teach us about the empires then? of this, what is really a passing age. Well, it does, because the danger is, is all these empires of human beings and these cities and, I don't know, uh, international conglomerate business empires and all these things, it is easy to believe that they can be sort of trusted or used or, you know, that or maybe we should build on them and maybe if only we could take power of them, we could turn the world around and bring paradise down to earth is a trap that Christians sometimes have thought that and maybe over-relied on the empires of this age and the city of man. But all the way through, there's that way in which we're warned, like the lambs at war against them, they're at war against the lamb. And then verse 18 of chapter 17, the woman you saw is that great city that rules over the kings of the earth. I take that to be a warning. Babylon must fall. And all these kingdoms of the world, sometimes they're not, they don't aggressively attack the church too much and or some but often they do but always they're kind of built on things like greed and money and class division and power and nationalism that's the way of the world in this passing age and in a way in the the church has a very different doctrine were to do with the age to come so there's a way in which we can't really try to build heaven on earth that's fantastic i know and then when I think of um, Babylon and then this woman, who are both identified in a strange way, and yet at verse 16 here of chapter 17, the beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. Oh, yes. They will bring her to ruin. So when you think of totalitarian powers, what do they do? They use the woman with all her seduction, worldly power and uh, entertainment and bread and circuses as Rome did once they're really into power they don't care anymore mm. suddenly the people will find themselves destitute and struggling mm. but they will use the woman as long as it pleases them to mm. do so eventually they'll turn on her it just shows that this age is a passing age isn't yeah. it because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand and the kingdoms of this age are always fighting struggling yeah. against themselves Very only one day will the kingdoms become the kingdom oh as we yeah. saw earlier I know. And then thinking about the true nature of Babylon, what can we say about its actual nature, Steve? Well, we've seen in chapter 17, Babylon as this seductive woman um, covered in riches, dripping in treasures, offering all the pleasures of the world. Mm. In chapter 18, Babylon the Great, I mean, it's almost ironic, uh, is exposed. The great city has fallen. And, and as we read the laments, of those of her lovers, the kings, the merchants, those who made their wealth by her. 
we see that, that she's abandoned by her lovers and they stand a long way off and they're mm. appalled at, at what's happened to her. Mm. Um, it's so certain, once again, that the, the fall of Babylon is spoken in this prophetic past. It's yeah. inevitable. So yes. we speak as if, it, as if it's already happened. That's verse 2. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And in one hour, your doom has come, verse 10, and in verse 17. And it does take us back to uh, Daniel chapter 5, where the kingdom of Babylon fell in one. That very night, wow. Belshazzar was slain. Yeah. You know, it, it's so sudden. It's so certain. Mm. It looks so seductive. It looks as if it will last forever. Mm. It happened to Rome, actually, in a single day. On August the 24th, 410 AD, Rome was beaten by the Visigoths in a single day and flattened. Wow. And when you think of that, it happens actually to most totalitarian regimes that um, they, they go pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and that seems to be a pattern of history. That's say, to do with Babylon. Were, I remember we were talking and you were talking about these astronauts who went up in, was it 1989 or something? Yes, as the communism was collapsing around yeah. Europe. They went up with Ceausescu in place, with the Berlin Wall intact, with Czechoslovakia and Hungary under the, well, really the communist jackboot. And uh, they come back six months later and find Ceausescu's gone. There's been a revolution in Romania. Berlin the Berlin Wall, Wall is down. Uh, Soviet Russia is reeling. Czechoslovakia and Hungary are free. <laughs> And they must have been bewildered. It's all happened so quickly. Yeah. You never know quite how Babylon will fall and how quickly it'll fall. It's very important that we understand this pattern, I think. So that when we come on to, uh, again in chapter 18, uh, what does the church yeah. need to remember about Babylon then mm. in this sort of passing age? Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? These warnings, like chapter uh, 18, verse 4, I heard a voice from heaven, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. You won't receive any of her plagues. And then verse 20, the same sort of warning, this about the separation between her and the church. And that's a theme throughout scripture, that sense of that. It's so tempting to, like Lot with Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot had got too involved in Sodom and Gomorrah and in the end he had to be kind of dragged out just by the skin of his teeth and all that sort of thing. There's that sense in which the, the temptation, we, had, we saw it with the letters at the beginning of Revelation, one of the temptations is to get embroiled in the values and the doctrine of Babylon and the city of man and all that sort of thing. And again and again, like the, the scriptures tell us, don't do that. Come out. Don't get caught up and trapped in it. We can think of Moses in Hebrews 11, 25 and 26, where he said he didn't think the treasures of Egypt were worth anything compared with the church and with, compared with Christ. He understood the real value of things. And, oh, Egypt is nothing compared to Christ and the church. Or Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 16 to 18, that same sort of warning. Come out from among them. Don't get trapped and into alliances with unbe the unbelieving world. Maintain the distinction that you are the church. You're the faithful witness in this passing age. Yeah, it's a message for us today mm. without any doubt at all. As we actually, the rest of the chapter 18, it goes on dealing with the yes. violence of the fall of Babylon. Then you come to chapter 19, these verses, well, the first 10 verses, how fair is it to say that all creation celebrates when the woman makes way for another woman? Well, it is like that, isn't it? There's the woman, Babylon, 
a woman who's also a city, who makes way for another woman who's also a city. Yeah. The bride of Christ, we see in verse uh, 7, preparing for the wedding supper. Well, that's the, 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 the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, uh, the believers. So one woman makes way for another woman. And just as in chapter uh, 18, we see these three laments that go up. Uh, at the at the fall of Babylon. Now in chapter mm. 19, there's a roar of praise, <laughs> like a thousand football stadiums, yeah. where uh, verse 1, the angels sing praise. Verse 4, the 24 elders again, mm. uh, the angelic representatives of the whole church, Old and New Testament, 12 and 12, as we saw earlier. The four living creatures representing the whole of creation give praise. And then verses 5 and 6, maybe everyone together, yeah. all God's servants, praising the fact that this one woman has replaced the other. Yeah, fabulous. Oh my, when we come to that day, I mean, I hope that many of our viewers, and we trust that we ourselves will be part of that wonderful day, when we with the church will be standing astride the grave of smoking Babylon, and we shall be singing with the others. Again they shouted, this is 19 verse 3, again they shouted, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever, and it'll be gone. We're looking forward to that day very more than we can say. And when we think about the overthrow of worldly inducements and political power, often combined, I think we have to take our inspiration, surely, from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is described, of course, as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings in these chapters, who, however the power that he had, um, wasn't taken in by the flatterings of temptation in the wilderness. So Satan is there offering him Babylon, in effect, and saying, look at all these nations of the world, the great pleasures of the world, banks, businesses, arm, armies, navies, all can be yours just for one little bow to me. Jesus is not taken in. He says, no, Satan, I didn't come to join you. I came to beat you. Mm. And that's, again, the message of these wonderful chapters of Revelation. Maybe at this point we'll call a halt to our discussion today. We'll look forward to another wonderful occasion when we look at these chapters of Revelation. And please join us the next time, won't you? God bless you today.